Welcome to the Human Reboot with me, Emma Last. We have uplifting, inspiring and diverse reboot stories from people sharing the courageous, honest, authentic and sometimes difficult life lessons. The Human Reboot will provide proven mentally flourishing formulas and practical tips to help you to live life to the full, giving you direction and hope. Make your mental fitness and well-being a daily priority. Learn to pause so that you can get clear and perform at your best. Switch off to switch on. It's time for your Human Reboot. Today on the Human Reboot, I have with me Joanna Rawbone. Joanna founded Flourishing Introverts, to shift the extroversion bias in business using a simple but robust approach and to enable individuals to recognize their natural strengths so that they can fulfill their potential without pretending to be something they are not. This starts with enabling introverts to identify their own strengths, something that Joanna does in her group coaching programs and one-to-one work with clients. She has a clear purpose and unshakable passion and works with companies and organizations to help them to recognize and encourage the contribution introverts can make to their business. This is diversity, equity and inclusion in action. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you very much, Emma. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell me a bit more about this mission And you're right, it really is a mission. And I suppose I got real clear about my mission maybe about three years ago. I reached one of those points in life where it it was more than a crossroads. It was actually um, a few more ways than that that I could go on. I could either retire, I was in a position where I could do that, or I could carry on doing what I was doing, which is working in organizations, with organizations, delivering training, coaching, facilitation of the soft skills, you know, the interpersonal management skills that we all need. Or I could do something different. And I was, my curiosity was piqued at that point because I knew I wanted to do something different. So I started exploring. And what I realized is that I have this purpose, which is to enable introverts to flourish without pretending, because for too many decades, I've been pretending to be something I'm not in order to fit in and get on. And it took me into burnout. And I don't want other introverts to have to go that route before they wake up and wake out of their kind of slumber in a way. So I am on a mission to shift the extroversion bias in business, in organizations, because it's in their everyday practices and processes. And by default, I'm also needing to take that message into education because the extroversion bias starts way before the workplace and we need to tackle it early too. I can definitely see where that starts. So uh, on the Human Reboot, we always ask, Um, how you have navigated challenging or changing times in your life and ask you to share one of your reboot stories. I think probably the the biggest reboot story for me was, I remember exactly where I was. I'd have trouble maybe pinpointing the exact year, but I think it was about 2003. So we're going back kind of nearly 20 years. And I'd been working as an associate trainer with a large international training organization. 
And at that stage, I already knew I was an introvert. I'd known since my 30s, actually. And I knew I was an introvert, but I didn't know. So I knew how I was different, but I didn't know what to do with that difference because I looked around all of my peers and colleagues and they were all extroverts and they all had these big personalities. And going back 20 years, so many trainers, colleagues that I had were all like entertainment trainers. You know, all they wanted people to do was to have a good time. If you asked some of the delegates afterwards, what did you learn? They'd have struggled, but they all had a good time. And and that's what many of my colleagues were like. And I too had been going along with trying to create that bigger personality, trying to be more extroverted. So pretending in order to fit in and get on and be recognized actually by some of my peers and colleagues. And my husband and I were away on holiday in France and we were out for our early evening walk watching the swallows or the swifts. I don't know which it was. If anyone's ever holidayed in France, they may have experienced this. They kind of dive in at dusk and drink from the swimming pools. And we were out on our walk kind of watching this going on. And all of a sudden, I turned to my husband and said, I can't do this anymore. And he kind of stopped as we were walking. And I I think in that moment, he thought I was saying I couldn't do marriage anymore. So I had to quickly clarify and say, actually, what I can't do anymore is I can't keep working with this organization, pretending to be something I'm not. That inauthenticity has just taken its toll on me. So the next morning, I phoned the managing partner from France and said, look, I I need out. Although I was an associate, I was embedded in their organization. I was managing teams of other trainers. You know, I was doing way, way more than an associate would normally do. And he said, I can hear in your voice you're serious. So let's make this happen quickly for you. So that was in the September. By the middle of October, I was gone. And what happened then was quite a shock to me, Emma, because I went home, I sat in front of my computer desk and and stared at my screen for actually nearly three months. So not only was I not productive, not creative, I wasn't capable of being productive or creative. And that was the first time that I really realized that I'd hit introvert burnout. I knew I'd been overwhelmed. I knew I'd had introvert hangover from time to time. But this was the first time I had seriously hit introvert burnout. And a lot of the work I do now is to stop other introverts going that route because, you know, taking three months to get back from that is not great, especially when you run your own business. And it wasn't until after the Christmas, and I had a pretty miserable Christmas, I can tell you that year, I was still sat in front of my computer wondering what on earth I was going to do. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that I had a tax bill to pay. And anyone who runs their own business will know that moment when you realize you've got a tax bill to pay and you look in your account and think, not sure I've quite got the money to pay it. So I started to get a little bit kind of panicky about that. And the very next day, I had a phone call from a colleague of mine, a guy called Mick, and we'd never worked together, but we'd been associate associated with each other back actually from many years ago. And he said to me, Joe, I don't know if you can help me out. I've been asked to run a women's development program. And as a bloke, I don't think I should do that on my own. So will you co-deliver it with me? Oh, and by the way, they've paid me in advance because obviously they wanted the money out of their coffers before the end of the financial year. So I might as well pay you up front if you're ready, if you're up for it. 
And it was like, thank you. Now I had the money to pay my tax bill. But you know, more than that, the thing that I think was really the reboot for me was getting connected again with somebody who valued what I did in the way I did it. They valued me for who I was, not for who I'd been pretending to be, not for who I could be if I kind of, you know, bent myself out of shape. So that taught me a huge lesson, which reboot for me meant coming back to myself, reconnecting with who I really am in order to go on and do bigger and better work going forward. So I think that's probably my biggest reboot story. So when did you realize that you were an introvert? It was in my 30s. And it was when I was attending a women's development program. I was still working for BT at the time. And this program was run by Cranfield. And it was an extraordinary program. And one of the things we did was the Myers-Briggs type indicator. Now, I know a lot of psychologists will poo-poo Myers-Briggs. But for many introverts, let me tell you this, it's the moment when they go, I'm not broken. I don't need fixing. It's just I'm different because I'm an introvert. So when I read my own profile and I'm an ISFP, when I read that, I thought somebody, it's like, you know, it's like reading your horoscope or something. But more than that, it, it really resonated with me. And whilst that was so great for understanding myself, what it didn't do was tell me how to really play to my strengths with that profile. What it did was highlighted how I was different. So it gave me some tools to how to be more extroverted, how to be more like other people. And it took me a couple of more decades to realize actually that The real knack here is to know my strengths as an introvert, to claim them and then play to them without apology. And and many people, many of the clients I'm working with now aren't finding out that they're an introvert until their 40s and 50s. And that moment of absolute joy when they realize that there's nothing wrong with them is just phenomenal to observe because Many of us have spent years, if not decades, being told to be different, be more this, be more that. In other words, be more extroverted, push yourself forward, speak up more. You know, you've got to be more like this. You've got to do more that. And that leaves most of us feeling that we're not enough being ourselves because it's only by being something else that we're valued. So tell me a little bit more about how to spot if someone's an introvert? That's a great question. And and I'm not a fan of trying to spot introverts, but I think there are a number of clues that the observant amongst us will notice. So the first is around our communication process, because introverts tend to have this think-say-think communication process. So if you ask an introvert a question, typically what they will do is they will literally kind of go up into their heads and we spend a lot of time in our heads and really think about what our answer is to this particular question. And that takes time. And quite often we don't get to the say part of our process because in our fast paced business world, the conversation has moved on. So the perception people have about an introvert is that we're too quiet, that we don't have an opinion, that we don't have anything to say, that, you know, sometimes worse than that, that we're stuck up or arrogant or, you know, just loners. But actually, it's about understanding our communication process is different. This was brought home to me 
really clearly when I was a participant on a program, I was already a trainer by then so and, and already aware of my introversion. I knew my process. And this trainer asked me a question in the course. I did my thing of going into my head and thinking about what my answer is because it matters to me that I give my true answer. He moved on, asked somebody else the same question and never came back to me for my answer. At the end of the course, I was given feedback from him that I lacked confidence and I needed to speak up more. And if I was the woman then that I am now, I'd have been very clear about neither of those is true. Actually, what needs to happen is you need to understand the communication process of introverts better. Because as an extrovert, their communication tends to be say, think, say. So you ask them a question, you get an immediate answer. It may not be what they actually mean. Often it's like a stream of consciousness and they'll make sense of it as they go. And often speaking it out helps them understand what they're thinking. So exactly the opposite for the in, from the introvert. So I think that's one of the clear ways to spot the first sign perhaps of maybe somebody is more introverted than extroverted. And what you'll also notice is that introverts need time to recharge. So if we go back to Jung's original definition, Introverts are already overstimulated mentally, and introvert means we, you know, we literally look inwards for our energy. Whereas extravert means they look outwards for their energy. So we're already overstimulated; don't need additional stimulation. Extroverts require external stimulation in order to recharge their batteries. So they need social interaction, active experiences and change, whereas they're the very things that can drain me, drain my mental batteries really quickly. So the other thing, as well as that communication process, is just to notice who kind of checks out either mentally or physically, you know, that kind of moment where the lights are on and no one's in. And, and who maybe doesn't speak up in a meeting, but will come to you an hour afterwards and say, I've just been thinking about that conversation we had. They're little signals, actually, that somebody is more introverted. It's nothing to do with us lacking confidence. It's nothing to do with us being shy. And it's nothing to do with, with social anxiety. I know extroverts who, who have social anxiety. So it's actually just about what drains and what charges our mental batteries interesting I can't remember like the um the title of it but I know that kind of throughout you know my business world we always did quite a lot on learning styles and things like that so it kind of it reminds me a bit more of that kind of that reflector part absolutely and what you'll notice is that many introverts not all because there are six different types of introverts to start with. And, and, you know, so none of us is the same anyway. So six pure types and many combinations. Many introverts have more of a reflector theorist learning style. Yeah. So I do a lot of work with professional services and it's not unusual when we do the, you know, learning styles questionnaire, for instance, for most of them to come out strongest on reflector theorist. Whereas extroverts tend to be more pragmatist activist. Yeah. So there is, you know, there is a, a kind of parallel there. And it's not absolute match. But again, it, it, if people prefer to sit back and observe before they have a go with that reflective learning style, chances are, again, it's worth just thinking about whether they are more, you know, identify as an introvert. 
interesting. So what are some of the strengths that you have seen in introverts or some of those like little gems that we could be kind of pulling out of of those people that may be more introverted? Yeah. And there are a lot, actually, a lot of strengths. I think probably the biggest one, and I am talking here about introverts who don't have social anxiety, so I am separating them out at this stage. Uh, The biggest one is our listening skills. So introverts are curious, and because we're not looking to contribute the whole time, what we're very good at is listening and listening with our eyes as well as our ears. So we notice what's not being said. We notice the little kind of changes in body language. You know, for the poker players, we notice the tells that give people away when what they're saying doesn't quite match with kind of their body language. And because we are so good at listening, that means that we're fantastic at assimilating ideas, at summarizing, at bringing forward something that was touched on and then almost dismissed just to make sure that the the meeting or whatever doesn't want to reconsider that. And, you know, gosh, the world needs more of that listening. If we go back and think about maybe Freud or even Jung, who said, you know, man's failure to communicate is often down to his failure to listen. And, you know, we really do need to think about how would our team, how would our business, how would our relationship benefit if we listened better, if we listened more? So listening for me is typically the the number one. What we're also really good at is researching. So you know, give us give us a problem to go away and look at, and we will really go away and understand the root cause of those things. So we're fantastic in problem-solving situations because we won't just jump on the presenting issue and jump to the first conclusion or solution that we see. We'll kind of dig deeper. So we're quite resourceful, we're quite resilient, and what we can do is, is really kind of get to the heart of things. And we're also, and this surprises a lot of people, we're really good friends because we can we can keep confidentiality. We don't have a huge circle of friends. What we have is a smaller circle, but really deep and meaningful relationships. So an introvert will often, unless you're a, a connected introvert, one of the six types, but you know, an introvert will often just have a small select group that they know almost everything about. And they may not talk to each other for months, but when they do, it's like no time has passed at all because they have such a deep relationship. And the other thing is that we're often criticized for not doing small talk. And so networking can be a bit awkward for many introverts. But what we're really good at is those generative conversations that take our thinking to a new level, that expand our horizons and and kind of help us see things from a different perspective. So, you know, I think all of those are skills that many organisations would benefit from. As we're sitting here and talking, I'm thinking about the leadership teams that I've been part of and thinking, oh, I think they were an introvert or, oh, that's why they did that. So, yeah, that's great. It's great to um, it's great to have those like hints and tips to help us. So how would a introvert kind of recharge their batteries, would you say? There are many different ways. And 
because what we tend to do is we we recharge our batteries quietly or in the case of my husband and I, in companionable silence. I don't have to be on my own. We can go for a walk. We can go out for dinner. We can sit. We just don't necessarily talk all the time. So because we're overstimulated mentally, when it comes to recharging, we need to give ourselves space. So recharging, as I say, is is often a solo, and if not solo, then a quiet activity. And I use some techniques nowadays called brilliant battery boosters, which I use when I have to keep going. So, you know, one of those busy days when you've really got too many meetings in the calendar or too, in my case, you know, training sessions and then a meeting and then a client call. In between times, I'll I'll build in gaps and God bless Calendly for giving you the opportunity to build in gaps between meetings. I think Outlook ought to have that facility as well, quite frankly. But what that enables me to do is to use either one of my quick, brilliant battery boosters, which can be something as simple as a quick meditation. I might be using acupressure points like on my third eye or the one just above my top lip. I may use essential oils like lemon, which is very um, helps with focus or lavender, which helps relax. Movement is really good. So if I'm in the office, then just up and down the stairs will help. If I'm on my own, a quick dance break will help. And getting out in nature, you know, all of those things are really important in order to recharge batteries. Introverts will often spend a weekend doing what seems like almost nothing. You know, a bit of sofa surfing, a bit of reading a book, a bit of, you know, gentle pottering. So they hate it when people say, what did you do at the weekend? Because they know if they say, oh, it was great. I read a book. People are going to say, oh, that sounds boring. (laughs) It's exactly what introverts need, though, in order to recharge their batteries. So so one of the ways that, sadly, we often pretend is that we'll either say something like, oh, well, I met a few friends when we didn't, because it feels wrong to say, I had a great time because all I did was read my book with a glass of wine and got a takeaway or whatever it happens to be because that seems not to be socially acceptable by other, by the extroverts of the world they think that sounds dull and boring when for us it's exactly what we need well do you know what sometimes there is nothing better than a book is there agreed <laughs> agreed <laughs> snuggle up with yeah. a book and uh oh there's nothing be- you know i really miss that you know, laying on a beach and pretending that there's nobody there and just reading. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's really bizarre because I really, you know, I think, you know, I do get energy from people. I do feel that people do fill my cup, if that makes sense. Yeah. Having that connection is really important. But then just, well, just before we came on, I mentioned to you, didn't I, that I went and did some training on Monday and it was, you know, some face-to-face training. And when I came back, whether that's because we're not used to that anymore, I was like, I was quite overwhelmed with, you know, I felt really, really exhausted. Whereas, you know, historically I might not have done. And all I wanted to do was, you know, snuggle up and have a little cat nap, which is really, which is not really like me, but yeah, but I th- I think you know there's some quite a lot of things that you say that sometimes that I think oh am I or, or am I not I think I'm a, I think I've got a bit of introverted extroversion 
<laughs> and, and it could well be. So, you know, people say to me, oh, I'm an ambivert. I'm a bit of both. Now, ambiverts technically do exist and they are people who are equally recharged by the quiet solo things and by the busy, you know, clubbing and, you know, being with a, in a big, in a busy mall and, you know, with a crowd of friends, all that sort of stuff. But more often than not, what we have are people who are extroverted introverts or introverted extroverts. And I'm a, an extroverted introvert, so I'm an open, in, in my questionnaire, I'm an open introvert, which means that if you ask me how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking, I'll tell you. So you better mean it when you ask me. Whereas a classic introvert is very closed, very hard to read and is unlikely to share. And, and one of the things that people often get you know, mistaken about with introverts is that we don't like people. Introverts love people. They love people who get them, who respect their space. So a bit like you, Emma, I am replenished and recharged by people who understand me and who give me space and who don't, you know, trample all over what I'm trying to say. And and if I'm thinking of a response, they give me time to respond. And, you know, but it may only be a few people rather than a whole bunch of people. So we can still be energized by people, but it's a I always use the Harry Potter, you know, the thing about the dementors, you know, an introvert, if they come across a dementor that just sucks the energy out of them, then we're going to be drained in no time at all. Whereas give us somebody who is more of a radiator, who kind of positively exudes and tops us up with their with their challenging or their questioning or their thinking that helps with that generative conversation. And, you know, I'm, I'm recharged and can carry on talking to them for hours. Mm. Oh, this is so exciting. It's like a whole new journey of discovery, isn't it? For many, I'm sure it will be for, for our listeners. So how do you switch off so that you can switch on and perform at your best? So switching off for me is a very it's it's a very symbolic thing actually in that I have certain rituals and one of them is to kind of literally put everything away and leave wherever I am so at the moment I'm still working from home I think I'm going to go back into my office next week but even when I'm working from home you know it's about shutting the door and making sure that as far as possible, I don't let my head go back into work because one of the things about introverts spending so much time in their head is that we almost don't come out of those things. So I need some very ritualistic things. So for me, a bullet journal is brilliant because what I'll do is make sure that I've written down everything that I still need to do and it's captured so I haven't got to keep mulling it over. I haven't got to keep thinking about it. And then there will be something physical like a walk outside, like going into my garden and pottering and maybe doing a bit of watering or deadheading, something and actually getting my hands into the earth is something that's really good for me. As is walking barefoot, you know, we've been doing no mow May and my grass is so long that I can walk barefoot on it and it'd be really soft. So things like that are really good for me. And meditation. So meditation is one of those things that I really need to, and I probably don't meditate enough actually, but I really need to do that and just to kind of create a different state for me and move away from work so that what I can do is then be more than do. I, I quite fancy doing um getting my hands in the dirt. I used to love that. I, I was I was brought up on I was brought up on a farm. <laughs> 
<laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, outdoors, I think has become more and more important to me over the last sort of four years. It was yeah. massively important to me, you know, as a child and growing up, but I became more and more kind of accustomed to the house, if that makes sense, and and to, to the work environment and not actually stepping out into nature as much as yeah. to create those healthy habits, really. And, you know, the big one for me, and I don't, it's one of the reasons I'll never live too far from the sea, is to get down onto the coast because there's something about that ozone in the air and the sound of the waves either on the pebbles or on the sand that actually almost tops me up and helps me switch off it almost in an instant. So as I say, I'm never going to move too far from the coast just because I couldn't bear not to get there in a kind of 20-minute drive. Yeah, I'm about 40 minutes away from the coast. And you are right. There was one point last year we were in, in the middle of lockdown. And I remember it was probably about half, about four, half four, something like that. And I thought, and we were allowed, I think, at that point to, you know, to start driving a little bit further for a walk. And I, I just, I remember saying to the kids, right, come on, let's go. Let's just jump in the car. So we jumped in, in the car, kids and the dog, took a towel for the dog. We needed to. And uh, and, and off and off we went. And we just went for a walk right out to yeah. the, you know, out to the sea. Had a whale of a time. Felt, felt just completely and utterly recharged. I think for me it really does truly blow away the cobwebs. Yeah. And I know when I was, you know, more angst ridden as a youngster, I would love to go to the beach when it when it was a bit wild and a bit rough because I could scream and shout at the sea and the air would take my voice and my anger away. It was fantastic. <laughs> I remember we used to be on the on the school on sometimes on the school bus and me <laughs> and me me and a friend we sometimes if we felt like really stressed we used to scream so we used to go one two three ah you know like screaming and it just we just used to it just be, used to be our way of relaxing I think and not really not sure what everyone else thought of us but you know we used to think it was funny anyway yeah and it did really help it was just yeah. like it was just it just really helped yeah and then I worked in a well in one of my first uh, location where I worked for a long time actually and there was one lady there that so when things got too much she just used to disappear and sit underneath the desk and just take 10 minutes just to like right I'm not here <laughs> and just would disappear under the desk um, and I can remember one day she's going come and join me down here it's great <laughs> <laughs> I bet she's an introvert sitting under the desk like that. I don't that. know if she is or not. I can't really think. She does have quite an extroverted personality, but I think it was her way of calming. I don't know. You know, um, I'm not 100% sure on that one as well, because I think you are right, you know, in terms of people expect there is a certain way in business that people expect you to behave, yeah. and expect you to be. So is that really the the true person that that they would be without that pressure? Yeah, and 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 that's the thing that I'm really looking to tackle through this kind of mission that I'm on because, you know, with up to 47% of people in the UK identifying as an introvert, that's a massive amount potentially of our employees of our workforce who are not 
being able to be themselves. So going home at the end of every day, completely wrung out and probably not being the best person at home then for those that they live with and love, you know, ready to come back and do it all again the next day, just in order to fit whatever society or whatever the business has deemed is best. And, you know, my big question is, who is it that decided that introversion was neurodiverse? Yeah. And I think, well, it's, it's and I think when you make link, links to more of the perhaps masculine traits or masculine energies in business as well, or masculine, you know, expectations on like masculine type behaviours, sometimes... Well, I mean, I don't know the figures. I don't know if you do in terms of that female and male split in terms of extrovert and introvert. The reported types are pretty even, actually, maybe very slightly more female kind of introversion. But, you know, we only have to look at some of the biggest leaders in the world and in business who are, you know, male introverts. Uh, Warren Buffett, you know, one of the most successful investors and business leaders, introvert. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs was. Barack Obama identifies as an introvert. And, you know, if you just think about that calm presence that he had, mm-hmm. you know, no histrionics, no drama, but just this real solid calmness, you knew exactly what you were getting. And, and so it's not that there's a lack of, you know, leadership role models for introverts out there but somehow there's there's this i don't know that there's this strange things that happens in in organizations that says but you have to be pushy you have to be you know you have to be aggressive you have to be this you have to be that no you don't not at all i think some of the best qualities of leaders are things like humility you know when a leader can actually say I got it wrong. Or to use Amy Edmondson's phrase, you know, that situational humility where I don't have all the answers and, and you know, nobody says I should. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's much easier for introverts to fall into that camp than perhaps it is for extroverts. Yeah. And that whole kind of, well, something I talk a lot about is around like human leadership and, you know, that whole this, that's where my human reboot really came from was around that, you know, the importance of being human and being able to show yeah. up as you. You know, I got to a point where I found that difficult to do. So, yeah, so I think, you know, there's definitely something to be said for uh, for us looking at things quite yeah. differently uh, and actually challenging the norm with you know, with some, some of this really. Yeah. And, and people are, you know, starting to call me a corporate disruptor now. And I rather like that, you know, I might have to go some to live up to being a real disruptor, but I'm completely willing to rattle cages in organizations and to, you know, go in hard on the DEI agenda, because if organizations think they have a robust diversity, equity, and inclusion policy, and yet they're not paying attention to this aspect of neurodiversity, then it's not a great policy. So, you know, there there are definitely things that need to happen that need to change around this. Absolutely. So what is your personal flourishing formula for living? So could you share some, well, one, at least one of your like 
mental fitness uh, tips or key learns or mantras or words that you live by? Yeah, the the one that certainly I am living by right now is that purpose plus passion trumps fear. So some of the introverts I work with will use their introversion as an excuse. They'll almost hide inside it and say, oh, I can't do that because I'm an introvert. And actually, you know, that's that's poppycock, really, because I can do anything I put my mind to, provided I've got enough charge in my mental batteries. So all I need to do is really kind of access my purpose and my passion. And then I am unstoppable. I can do anything I put my mind to. So that's the thing I remind myself of pretty much every day, because these days, pretty much every day, I'm doing things that even two years ago would have been outside my comfort zone. And as introverts, one of the things I encourage us to do is always to work at the outer edge. It doesn't work to say you have to get out of your comfort zone. Again, I think that's a very extrovert thing to say and do. So, you know, there are people who say the only learning that happens happens outside your comfort zone. Actually, I know that not to be true. But what we encourage people and what I encourage my clients to do is to work at that outer edge of their comfort zone, because by doing that, we enlarge our comfort zone the whole time. And all of a sudden, we can do the things that a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, we thought were impossible to do. And that's the kind of fear that I'm talking about. Access your passion, access your purpose, and then we become unstoppable. Wow. Yes, I totally get that. You are absolutely right about, you know, people still growing within that comfort zone. So when you are on the outer edge of that comfort zone, you definitely can increase your performance in whatever you do. And actually, that that's when you start to be moving into peak performance and then not getting to the point where you push and push and push and push and get to the point of burnout. Yeah. I completely get that. And also, it's really interesting. So in the Human Reboot, there is a unit in there where we talk about find your purpose and passion and release your power. Wow. Amazing. So it's a slightly different angle, but yeah, definitely, definitely resonates with me that and purpose and passion trumps fear. I love that. Yeah. And, and, and I love your take on it as well, which is about when you access those two, what you do is access your power as well. Yeah. Completely get that. Yeah. Not power, not aggressive power. It's just that feeling of power within you. Yeah. And, and you know, I again, one of the things you often hear people talk about is what's your superpower? And and I don't I don't resonate with that because that feels too much like, you know, somebody with a cape or putting their pants on over their trousers kind of thing. W- what we talk about more is what are our inner powers or any powers we even refer to it. And that's where we go back to really starting to identify our strengths, those things we're good at that we love doing. And you know, if, if we can access those and then play to those, then we know that we're showing up authentically and, and it's in a sustainable way. I think what is really interesting to me, so I do quite a lot of work with people on helping them to try and find their strengths or to actually acknowledge those strengths because often we 
when someone says to you, you know, what are your strengths? Sometimes we'll go, yeah, I don't know. So, you know, sometimes there's, there's got to be kind of deeper work done on, on, on some of that to really kind of pull out what someone's strengths are. But it, it's, um, it's great to, to see that, you know, that you're really trying to focus on pulling out those strengths with, with people who I suspect if they're introverts might find it even harder than extroverts to talk about their strengths. Absolutely. And, and remember that they've probably been told that the way they behave normally isn't good enough, isn't enough. So they have this strong sense of I'm not enough. And so the strengths that they think people want them to talk about are not their real strengths, but how they think people want them to behave. You know, there are so many introverts who hate the idea of an in, of an interview because they know that they'll feel obliged to say, I'm a great team player or, you know, I'm a great communicator. And whilst that may be true, it's in a specific sense. So I'm a great team player because I'm really resourceful. So, you know, I don't waste people's time. And what I will do is I will do my research so I can bring that research into the team. So I don't think it helps that there is so much coaching pre-interview these days that coaches people to show up the way we think the interviewers want them to show up. And then if they get successful and get hired, the manager then goes, well, I don't know who's shown up here, but it's not the person we saw at interview. So we we even need to educate the interviewers to be able to recognize and acknowledge what some of the quieter strengths are that actually the organizations need more of. And also that then leads on to looking at competency frameworks as well, doesn't it? And really yeah. sort of delving into those and, and saying, you know, what are actually the true competencies of this job? Or are there more than one way to skin a cat, really? Absolutely. Absolutely right. So have you got any books, podcasts, people, groups, anything that's massively inspired you or helped you on your journey that might help our listeners? I think the biggest kind of thing that kicked me into saying I can do this was Susan Cain's TED Talk um, and her book, which is called Quiet. And I think it's called The Power of the power of introversion in a world that can't stop talking or the power of quiet in a world that can't stop talking. And that was the first time I'd heard people say, we're okay and the world needs more of us. So Susan Cain was one of the people that absolutely gave me the confidence to say, I can do this and I need to spread the word too. Um, And I'd like people to have a look at my or have a listen to my podcast, which is the Flourishing Introvert Talks, dispelling the myth that we don't have anything to say for ourselves. So it's aimed at introverts who just need a bit of a boost every now and again, but it's also aimed at people who need to understand the introverts in their lives better. Um, so I would definitely say have a listen to that too. Mm. And of course, there's my there's my TEDx talk too. Brilliant. And what's that TEDx talk called? Um, tackling the extroversion bias to unlock the potential of introverts. Fabulous. Well, I will be looking at that and I will be listening to your podcast as well. And if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, Joanna, what's the best way for them to do that? The very best way is just to go to my website, which is flourishingintroverts.com. 
You'll find links to my podcast there. You'll find the link to my TEDx talk and you'll um, find the link to my quiz so people can find out what type of introvert they are. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much. I have absolutely loved this conversation. And I'm now going to have to go and explore if I am an extroverted introvert or an introvert extrovert, one way or the other. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, some people say you can't put me in a box. It's just a label. It's actually useful categorization that helps us with self-awareness. So let's not tie ourselves up in knots about it. Let's just use it for self-awareness. Yeah, I don't think, I think with all the personality profiling and all sorts of the different tools out there, it's, it is about, it is a help in terms of self-awareness. I think where things start to become kind of labels or the decision-making process to yeah. the job, you must be this, it, it, it should be really more let's try and understand this person more so that we can work out if they are the right fit for this organization or actually those skills we haven't got those skills in our organization and we need more of those so you know it's you know let's we can use these tools to enhance our you know the diversity and the equity and and the inclusion within within workplaces we just have to turn it on its head and sometimes you know, challenge those processes that, you know, that mean that you are recruiting to one pretty much personality type. Yeah, absolutely agree. And it's about valuing difference. You know, if I could pick my team, I would have as much variety and diversity in that team as possible, because then I know we're more likely to be able to tackle pretty much any situation. I ended up being certified as a Myers-Briggs practitioner. And one of the things that we were always told there is your type is not an excuse for your behavior. And that sits with me. So you're right. It's not about saying either looking for just that or saying I can't do it because of that. It's about just understanding ourselves and therefore learning how we need to flex in order to get on the better wavelength with other people. Yeah. And something I talk a lot about is the difference between self-development and personal or career development. And actually, these are um, really important tools for people to help them to find out who they are so that they can work in a way that works for them, not getting to the point of of burnout or, or, or having to act in a way that you know, isn't them. Absolutely agree, Emma. Absolutely agree. Thank you ever so much. I've loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Human Reboot podcast. I'm Emma Last. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star podcast review and visit thehumanrebootmovement.com where you can find downloadable free resources, sign up to my mailing list, or connect with me on social. So that's the humanrebootmovement.com. Let's switch off so we can switch on. It's time for your human reboot.